Recording in progress. <clears throat> Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for this gathering. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. And Father, even now, Lord, I just pray, God, that I pray that the the neighbors would turn off their music, Lord. I pray that you would put an end to the the loud music and the bumping, God. I, I, I pray right now, Lord. Uh, for the elimination of all distractions. Father, I pray that you would bind every demon that would attempt to hinder the word from going forth. God, I ask right now in your holy and precious name that, Lord, you would um, eradicate every distraction, every hindrance, every everything that is contrary to your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just pray right now that the that your Spirit, God, would begin to Provide your people with the ability, Lord, to not only um, be attentive, Lord, but also incline their hearts to your spoken word, Lord, that they would grow thereby. Father, your word says that it is the engrafted word of God that is able to save our souls. And so, Father, may your word <coughs> engraft into their hearts, engraft into their lives, Father, that it would germinate in their hearts and that it would produce a crop, Lord, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Father, I pray that you would conform us, Lord, to your ways, Lord, and that, Father, from our growth and sanctification that we would produce more fruit. And, Father, I just pray that even now that, that we would have insight into your heart, we would have insight into your word, <clears throat> we would have insight, Lord, into your ways, Father, as the scriptures are expounded, as the scriptures, uh, Lord, are taught on, Lord, uh, particularly Luke 18. And Father, I pray that you would encourage your people. And Father, for those that need correction, they would be corrected. For those that need encouragement, that they would be encouraged. Father, I pray that there would be no derailing. There would be no um, negation of your word, O Lord. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, I pray for your anointing. May it cut through all confusion. May it cut through deception. May it cut through every lie of the devil. May it divide soul and spirit. And may it cut your people to the heart. But may it afflict the comfortable, but comfort the afflicted. Father, may we learn the doctrine of justification uh, through this text, but may we also learn the importance of of what it means to be humble and to be contrite, to be repentant. In the mighty name of Jesus, bless your people and may the anointing um, may the anointing be upon this gathering. And Father, may we be changed. May we be changed more and more, Father, as we gaze upon your beauty. So, God, would your spirit just rest even now and grant me grace to preach. Grant me grace, Lord, for apart from you I can do nothing. And grant me prophetic insight. And, Lord, may it accomplish what it sets itself out to do. <coughs> In the mighty name of Jesus, <coughs> amen and amen. So again, we're, we're going to be looking at Luke 18, verse 9. 
it's the it's the parable um of the Pharisee and the tax collector um I'm quite sure that this this passage will be of uh, great encouragement uh to you all especially if you're finding yourself um overcome with guilt overcome with a sense of of shame um how many of you know there's nothing within the word of god that is um without its significance without its importance every <coughs> parable is there with intention from the holy spirit for us to learn and for us to profit from the bible says in romans 15 that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope right and so in order for you to gain hope it is necessary for you to take a look into the scriptures right we should leave our reading of the scriptures with an impartation of hope amen um because the uh, the God that we serve is the God of encouragement, and He is the God of hope. Um, that doesn't mean that you will leave free of conviction, but understand that even with conviction, that when the Holy Spirit convicts you, He leaves you with a sense of hope. Whereas when the devil he brings you condemnation, there is no hope. Even the harshest rebukes that the Lord had administered to his people um, in <coughs> Jeremiah and, and the prophets, um, it was not without hope. The Lord always provided some sort of escape, some sort of condition whereby they, they could overturn judgment and, and of course eventually face uh, experience and, and receive prosperity from the hand of God. But... Once again, uh, <clears throat> if you don't have your Bibles, um, I would encourage you to get them. It's not a long parable, but I, I hope to unpack a lot uh, um, from this from this beautiful text. Amen, somebody? <clears throat> You're all with me? Okay, so... Um, The word of the Lord says this, it says, uh, beginning at verse 9, um, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. <coughs> so he lets us know at the outset who this, uh, what, uh, who this parable is directed towards, right? So he speak. It's similar to the um, what he stated in Luke eighteen, uh, verse one, where he talks about the importunate widow. He says he spoke this parable to the end that men ought always to pray and not faint. And so, uh, similar to that parable, where he lets us know the intention uh, or the audience at the outset, and, and similarly, he lets us know in this passage. Um, who he's, who he's speaking to, and he's speaking to a specific audience, right? And this audience, uh, what is what are their characteristics? 
Well, they're confident in their own righteousness and they look down on everyone else or as some other translations that says they show contempt. Okay, so um, first of all, the Bible makes it clear that these people are not trusting in the righteousness <coughs> that is given by Christ. Um, they think that there is something inherent within their selves that that merits a righteousness. And so they're, they're looking inwardly. They're not looking to God. Once again, verse 9, it says, To some who are confident in their own righteousness. Uh, we see this a lot today. Uh, people are confident in uh, their own morality. Um, and in fact, a lot of times this morality is very comparative. They say, at least I don't do this. At least I'm not like that person. At least I am not a rapist. At least I'm not, um, you know, and the list goes on. They're always comparing themselves to people that are worse than them. Amen, somebody? They're always comparing themselves to other people rather than to Christ. <coughs> um, I'm trying to recollect the, these lyrics that I've heard from a song some time back. Um, it, it was by a guy named Bizzle. He says, he says, the liar says, at least I don't steal. He says, the thief says, I don't kill. The, the killer says, at least I don't rape women. He says, the rapist says, at least I don't rape children. He says, come on, homie, is that how we're living now? Is that how we've convinced ourselves we ain't living foul? Comparing ourselves to people who you think are worse than you. He says, compare yourself to, buy, to Christ and you'll learn the truth. And that's, uh, yeah, right, mic drop. Um, <clears throat> but that's the reality. Comparing ourselves to people that, that yes, that they may in fact be worse than ourselves. Because the Bible does not just classify sin as sin. Because there are sins that are greater and there are sins that are lesser. And so that, that is a common misconception. All sin isn't sin to God. There are sins that are very weighty to God and God detests with all of his being. And then there are other sins that there are, there are sins, but as the scripture says, doesn't lead to death. And so, um, but nevertheless, these people are looking to themselves <coughs> for their own righteousness, and they're looking down on others. Um, and so, they, they aren't um, compassionate. They aren't... Um, how can I say? They, they, they are so swelled up with pride that they have no mercy toward other people. In fact, what it means in the Greek to show contempt is literally they make the people literally of no worth. And so let me ask you guys this. Do you make other people of no worth? And what, what that amounts to saying is, uh, what, what do you, how do you treat things that are of no worth? You don't recognize it. You, you, it's easily discardable. It's e you easily reject it. And, and it, it, there's no problem 
what there's no problem for you as to what happens to that object, right? And so when people are so overcome with pride and are confident in themselves of their own righteousness, <coughs> they have no regard for these people. They show contempt for them. They show disdain for them. They look down on them and, and they could care less what happened to those people. You know, I see it a lot of times on, on Facebook um, when someone gets in trouble with the law, they get locked up, and then people start ranting on there and saying, yeah, good, I hope he rots in hell. I hope this good-for-nothing no piece of trash. And, you know, they just keep hurling all these insults at them. Imagine if God were to say that to you or to me. You know, what if what if the Lord got thank the Lord that he didn't say that to us, right? But it says that even when we were still ungodly, Christ Jesus died for for the unrighteous. See a different way that God approaches uh the sin of man <clears throat> versus the way that man approaches his own fellow man. Amen, somebody? Are we following along? Can I can I see an amen so I know that we're, we're here? Amen. Amen. Or type type amen so I know we're following along. Amen. All right, cool. Um, so it says they were confident in their righteousness. Um. In other words, they're having faith in themselves. They're not having faith in God or faith in the righteousness He provides. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 4. <coughs> Romans chapter 4 verse 5. And what we will see, um, and, and put, put a, um, a bookmark there in Luke 18 because we're going to return to it. But I want us to real quickly turn to Romans chapter 4 verse 5. And the word of the Lord says this. However, oh, let's actually begin at verse 4. Romans chapter 4 verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So you see the big difference? The Pharisee that is standing in the temple, as we will see, <coughs> who has righteous, who has faith in his own righteousness, his, his, the grounds of his confidence is contrary to that of the gospel. The gospel says this, to the one who doesn't trust in themselves, as the text reads, but the even as the, the ungodly who put their faith in Christ, their faith is credited as righteousness. You see the difference? And now notice, it says there in Romans 4, <clears throat> it says, however, to the one who does not work, but trust the one who justifies the godly? No. Who justifies the ungodly. 
Their faith is credited as righteousness. So that means this, that we are declared righteous despite the fact that we have no merit of our own. We have no righteousness of our own. We have no godliness of our own. We have nothing to stand on. And therefore, the man who trusts in the gospel, who trusts in Christ alone, looks away from self and looks to Christ. He looks away from anything inherent to himself, any any inherent righteousness, anything that 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 is that is inward, and he begins to look outward. But the man, the Pharisee, the self-righteous, begins to look inward. <coughs> Romans chapter one verse seventeen. The Bible says this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God, it's not the righteousness of man, it's the righteousness of God, is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so faith isn't transactional, it isn't do good, get good. Faith is, I am not good. There is nothing I have ever done to merit the righteousness of Christ. There is nothing I have ever done to, to earn salvation. There is nothing, in fact, all that I have ever done should lead God to, to look away from me and to condemn me to hell. But God in His great mercy saw fit to bestow His grace and His mercy upon us um, um, people, us uh, um persons and and save us not according to the good deeds that we've performed but because of his great grace <coughs> like the psalmist cries righteous is the lord it says good is the lord and his mercy endures forever one other verse galatians chapter 3 verse 11 galatians chapter 3 verse 11 um, it says clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith so in other words <clears throat> the self-confident relies on the law They don't rely on Christ. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Ray Comfort's videos, but a lot of times you see the you see the self righteous, you see the proud. They they'll say, you know, yeah, I've lied, but who hasn't? Or yeah, I've done that, but who hasn't? I mean, I haven't done it that much, right? They're still they're still trusting in themselves. And the reason why they're trusting in themselves is because they're blind, because the light of Christ's holiness hasn't shined onto them. Otherwise, they would despair of looking into themselves, right? No, they would say, no, there's no way, there's no way that, that I could be made right with God by, by, the, by the fact that there is inward corruption within my heart. <coughs> and all the wrong things I've ever done. But look it. 
It says, uh, verse 9, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he has something to say to these people. And my brothers and sisters, if this if this applies to you, guess what? Jesus has something to say to you too. And if Jesus has something to say to you, are you listening to what Jesus has something uh, are you listening to what he has to say to you? You know, this is what the word of the Lord says. He who has ears let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who has ears. My brothers and sisters, do you have ears? Can you hear the voice of the Lord? Or is there so much earwax in your ears that you have become dull of hearing? Dull of hearing and you, you cannot hear the voice of God. Your hearts have, have become callous. Uh, or, or are you still hanging on to every word of the Lord like Samuel says he did not let one word fall to the ground? <clears throat> Amen. You'd be surprised at how many are are unattentive to the voice of God and they listen to their own thoughts and they listen to the, the devil and and the injection of demonic and seducing thoughts rather than the voice of the Holy Spirit. Those people don't last long. They don't. You know, you, you want to let, let me give you a quick test, a little diagnosis, a little troubleshooting. Um, if if you can't ever receive correction, you're one of those people. You always go like this. You always edit correction out. It says a wise man hearkens unto wise counsel and so increases in learning. You know, it, it's funny to me because, you know, on on Facebook, there's so many people that are Facebook certified. They're, they're ordained by Mark Zuckerberg and... And uh, they're, they're prophets ordained by Mark Zuckerberg. And they think that everybody in the world just needs to listen to them. And here, listen, what I got. But it ain't nobody, they ain't trying to listen themselves. They're, they're, face, they're YouTube certified, Facebook certified, all that stuff. <laughs> okay. So, um, verse 10 so this is where the parable begins. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Hey, guess what? You know that old excuse? I'm so sinful that the church will burn down? Well, guess what? The tax collector doesn't think like that. His sin doesn't leave him to get away from the temple, but he says, rather, I need to go to the temple. Do you see that? Uh, everybody today says, oh, I'm so sinful. I can't go to church. It will burn down. That's not the excuse that he offers. That isn't what he says. In fact, 
It is precisely because of his sin that he therefore goes to the temple. He knows where hope can be found. Amen. It's in the presence of God, not away from the presence of the Lord. Look at what happens when men don't want to see receive um, atonement for their sins. They, they, they flee from the presence of God like Jonah. Kind of like some of you who don't want to come to a meeting because you'll get convicted. <laughs> Amen. Oh no, don't touch that. Oh no, Lord, don't touch that idol. Can I be frank? Um, I still want to have sex, God. No, don't, no I don't want to. I don't want to go to the meeting because I, I want that. I know I'm fornicating. We're kind of married. No, you're not you're not married. Um <clears throat> two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And just to give you a little bit of background, you know, I, I can sense someone has an ouch right now. I don't want to I don't want you to tell on yourself, but let allow the Lord to, to press his hand upon you. Because, you know, when you get rebuked by, by a, a prophet, that isn't a thing to be afraid of. My brothers and sisters, when you no longer hear prophetic voices, that is when you need to be afraid. That means God has silenced himself and he won't speak to you anymore. Woe to the man, woe to the woman to whom God does not speak anymore. And he gives them up. That's a that that's a scary thing today. To think that God oh this person doesn't hear. They don't hear any longer. They love their they love their 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 uh, their sin, their homosexuality so much. They love this so much. And so Romans 1, it says he gives them up. Isn't that what happened to Saul? And he had to consult with the witch because he. it says even Samuel, God didn't speak to Samuel for Saul. So he had to go to witches. My brothers and sisters, I, I, I feel this prophetically to say not, not that God has given up on you, but that you're looking into the dark for advice and not the light. What witches and what warlocks have you consulted? You might say, I, I've never went to a palm reader. Oh yeah, but what, what psychologist are you looking up? Looking for light among the dead. Exactly, that's what it says. Why consult the dead for the living? <coughs> you know, we, 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 we trust more in the secularists today than we do God's ordained ministers. The Bible says in, in the Chronicles, it says, Trust in the prophets and so shall you prosper in the way. But we don't like that, huh? 
We don't, we really don't like. We like to just discredit every minister. We discredit this person. We, we we've mastered the art of trivializing God's messengers, and it's no it's no wonder. We are in the plight, and we're in the condition that we're in. So, amen, somebody. Amen. The rest of you are, uh, I, I, it's still processing. <laughs> <coughs> but it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So once again, the, the, the tax collector's sin isn't a reason for him not to come to the temple. Like I've said, a lot of people say that, you know, you know, if I go to the, if I go to church, it's going to burn down. It's like, no, bro, I think there's a lot of people who've gone to church and it hasn't burned down just yet. Right? <laughs> so the tax collector <coughs> is, is saying, you know what, I'm sinful. I think I need to go to the temple. I think I need to go to church. I think I need prayer. I think I need to confess my sins. Why? Because he knew that there was hope. Because the temple is where the presence of God dwelt. And so he went to the, the temple where the presence of God dwelt, <coughs> trusting. Yeah, it was the old sacrificial system at the time, but nevertheless, he trusted that atonement could be made for his sins. And so it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself. And see, that's how you know you're self-righteous. You stand by yourself. Like, you, you, you want nothing to do. You know, it's, you know I read recently some dude named A.W. Pink. And um, about his, his uh, he was a Calvinist. And uh, from, from my understanding, uh, he, he, he just didn't, he didn't think any anybody's theology was good enough. If you read some of his stuff, he's like a very brainy person. And he just didn't think anybody's theology was good enough. And so <clears throat> he actually ended up separating from all of the church. And he just lived by himself. And he had n no relations with, with anybody at, towards the end of his life. And see that's what, what that's what can happen when a pharisaical mindset begins to set in. You just stand by yourself, and and you you want to disassociate with any Christ, even Christians because they ain't good enough. I get that there's you know there's problems in the church, and sometimes you don't want to partner with everybody. That's I understand that, but for the most part, if if you just seclude and isolate yourself all by yourself then it sounds like you're biting into the leaven of the Pharisees. So remember Jesus kicked it with tax collectors and sinners. He didn't partake of their sin. And he wasn't doing what they were doing. But Jesus didn't. Jesus was the holiest person to ever walk the earth. And he didn't allow his holiness to disassociate from the lepers and the tax collectors of his day. 
Don't get me wrong. This isn't a, a, a free invitation to just kick it with anybody. You need to use wisdom. You ought not to be walking up in bars and doing all this other stuff. Oh, well, I'm not drinking. I'm just kidding. You know, none of that stuff. You got to understand that the tax collectors flocked to Jesus. He didn't flock to them. And you got all these wretched skinny jean pastors with their ripped pants and their lattes who think it's a relevant and the thing to, a relevant and good thing to do just to flock to all these sinners and, and to get into their world where no, it was that Jesus was so compelling and his life was so noteworthy and he healed their sick and raised the dead and cast out the demons that they began to flock to him. You know, um, <coughs> I had this really cool testimony. Um, I went to the dentist the other day. You know, you not not only got to clean up your life, you got to clean up your teeth. You not only got to clean up your sin, you got to floss and clean that stuff too. And I, I guess I don't floss enough. <laughs> That's what my dentist told me. There's a bit of conviction when she told me that mess. <laughs> Oh, dang it. My life isn't all the way clean. I got to clean my teeth some more. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I went to the dentist and, um, I, I, I was on the seat, you know, and reclined back and <coughs> God spoke to me about, uh, the doctor there, the head dentist. And, um, and she had severe neck pain and she wasn't going like this, like, ah, you know, like the, like she gave away physical indicators and, you know, I, she wasn't doing any of that. In fact, like shortly after her greeting me is when I got that word and she had her assistant there. And I said, um, I said, uh, you deal with uh, neck pain and she, she stops doing what she's doing and she says, yes. And she's like, how'd you know that? Oh no. She said, yes. And just paused for three seconds and began to proceed. And she stopped again. She says, I'm curious. How did you know that? And uh, and I said, well, I said, I hope to f I hope I don't freak you out. I said, but I'm I'm a Christian and I hear from God. And uh, and so they thought that was really interesting. And well, long story short, I end up getting to pray for her for healing. I end up getting to pray for the assistant and just prayed a blessing over the entire office and they had their heads bowed and and it was just amazing <coughs> i bring that up because you know i wasn't one of these dudes saying you're gonna burn and go to hell you need to repent of your sins <laughs> you know i wasn't one of those guys and just people find that repulsive they already know that their lives are jacked up. We as the church need to bring healing. Jesus wants to enter into their lives and bring solution, bring healing to their bodies, bring healing to their souls, and deliver them from the oppression of the devil. You see a big difference? You think Jesus was really with, you know, suit and tie, little suspenders, and, a, you know, um, you know, with the... You know, how, how do you say it? Um, looking like a traffic cone with the, you know, the neon green shirts and Turner burn shirts. You think Jesus? <laughs> oh, no. with big old sign, you're going to hell. 
No, he wasn't doing that. <coughs> he 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 healed the sick. He had compassion on them. Wait, who wants to be a dentist? What's going on here? Oh, <laughs> oh, I get, it. I get it. <laughs> Are you? She meant she needs to try that, like in terms of praying for healing, not a dentist. <laughs> Anyways, but I bring that up because. That's what causes sinners. That's that's what captures their attention. You know, it, it, it's no different than the fact that, like, for example, a Nebuchadnezzar. Right, he had a dream. And look at all the astrologers, the soothsayers, the witches. They couldn't do anything for him. They couldn't help the man. But there, but Daniel the prophet comes on the scene and says there's a God in heaven who can solve that problem. He reveals secrets. And so God is not an irrelevant God. He wants to come in and solve their problems. I, I have a homeboy who, uh, he, we grew up together in the same neighborhood and he was into gangs and all this stuff and he, uh, you know, was out of, uh, you know, juvenile hall, you, you know, the YA, YA is like prison for kids. He went to prison, he got out, and well, anyways, he was, he was, um, <coughs> he was gonna, uh, they're trying to indict him and put him away in prison again for like a whole 10 years. And I told him, I said this, I said, brother, because, well, I didn't call him brother, he, he reached out to me and asked for me to pray for him. I said, I'll pray for you, but understand that if God moves on your behalf, you have to render to him what is belonging to him. He wants your life. So I prayed for him. Guess what? They dismissed the entire case. He was going to spend 10 years of his life in prison. There is not a shred of evidence. They dismissed the case. I said, God did that for you, and he answered my prayer. So what are you going to do in response? God can come through. And that's what the sinners need to see, is that there is a God in heaven who actually answers. The, the day of turn, turn or burn needs to stop already, because that doesn't do anything for them. Just arguing with sinners on, on the street corner and calling yourself a street preacher. That stuff don't work. Stop arguing and start healing. Stop arguing and start bringing solutions to their problems. So, <coughs> I, I'm, I, I, <laughs> I remember one thing Bishop Veron Ash said. He says, um, uh, he said, prophets, are, uh, the way they preach are like women when they try to drive home. They stop at this garage sale. They stop at this store. They stop at Starbucks. They stop. At, they can't just go straight home. <laughs> I can't seem to just get on this text sometimes. 
Um, and so, you guys got to be patient with me. Um, but the ta- the Pharisee stood by himself and he excluded himself. And it says this. He says, or in the Greek it says he prays thus to himself. And so this ain't no real prayer. This is self-congratulation. Saying, God, I thank you. It's, it's not a genuine thanks. And he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or how about let's throw some modern vernacular in there. I'm not like this thug. I'm not like this this crip or this gangbanger. I'm not like this uh, this uh, raver or this partier, right? Or these t- these seductive TikTok influencers. Or I'm not like those people who do the OnlyFans, right? But notice though, it's it's appropriate to say, God, I thank you that I no longer do the things I used to. Or, God, I thank you that I don't drink anymore. They're associated with the sin, a genuine heart, saying, I don't do those things. But the Pharisee says, I'm not like those people. So he's comparative. He's looking to other people. It's not just that he's, he's looking at the sin and saying, oh, man, thank the Lord I don't do those things anymore. He's looking at other people and saying, yeah, I'm not like that filthy scumbag. Why? Because he wants wants to to compete with people in in the competition games of morality. He says, God, I thank you that I... And he says, or even like this tax collector over there. You know, one of the reasons I left my first church, in addition to their doctrine, was I felt this just this culture of self-righteousness. And I would bring in uh, meth addicts, heroin addicts. Um, I, I brought in, like, a lot of people from the streets, by the grace of God, of course, within, like, the first year, I brought in about, like, 50 people. By, by uh, entirely the grace of God, but one of the things that happens was when I would bring them in, they would feel judged, and the people would say, "Take off your hat or spit off your gum or some nonsense." I'm like, man, they've been told so much in the world already. Like they should not be coming here. It, it let me let me let me give you an equivalent. It's like someone that's dying. And you're welcoming them into your house to, to, you know, help them to survive. And you say, can you take off your shoes? It's like, bro, you're missing it. Why would you ask for someone to take off their shoes if they're dying? I get it. If they're healthy, you know, they come to your house often. Hey, you know, we take off our shoes when we enter into the home. You know, I get that. But to a dying person, that doesn't make sense. <clears throat> so, um, and so I, I just, I couldn't stand that self-righteousness anymore. So, um, I, 
it was a lot too many rules and regulations that they would impose on even unbelievers. It's like, man, the dude is trying to kick a heroin addiction, and you're telling him take off his hat. You're telling her to spit out her gum, and she's she's trying to not be a seductress anymore. Come on, man. You know, get with the program. But he says, I don't. He says, <clears throat> or even like this tax collector. Right? <clears throat> and tax collectors, they people didn't like tax collectors because um, they were viewed as <coughs> people who betrayed the Jews. Because what happened is the Romans had power over the Jews. Right? And so um, Jews, some of the Jews would actually begin to work for the Romans. And so the Jews would point at these other Jews who were tax collectors, like you corrupt betrayer. And and to make matters worse, some of them were corrupt. They would take more than what they were supposed to. And you know, people get pretty angry today when it involves uh, people embezzling money from the church and all this other stuff. People get pretty funny with their money. (laughs) It was no different back then. You know? You, you want to see a, a preacher rip the shreds? Just, you know, let him drive in a pretty nice car and a preacher will get ripped the shreds and you'll start having all these YouTubers pick him to pieces. You know, look at him and look at his bank account. Look at all that stuff, right? And so it's no different than what's going on in this day. The Pharisees saying this guy's a piece of trash. But look it. Verse 12, he says, and then he begins to congratulate himself. He says, I fast twice a week and, I get, and, and give a tenth of all I get. Um, in Matthew 23, verse 23, in chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus said this concerning the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup of the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not that's 25. Verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So Jesus' description of the Pharisees is... You guys don't even give attendance to the weightier things of having mercy to people, showing righteousness. And and all the Pharisees able to congratulate himself of in this parable is the things of lesser importance. Tithing. Tithing mint and cumin and look at I give all this. Right? And so What he's congratulating himself about isn't even regarding the weightier matters. 
You know, C.S. Lewis said something to the effect that a self-righteous man is always harder on others than he is on himself. But 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 to have to be a righteous person, um, we should begin to first look to ourselves, and then to others, but in the spirit of meekness. Right. The spirit of meekness. In other words, you're not trying to just rip them to shreds. And just cut them down. <clears throat> One of the good qualifiers of, of an adequate preacher is to feel, first feel the sins of his own. Or he may not even be a preacher, someone that just relays a message to someone else. It's to consider yourself. And you know what? I too am in need of mercy. Thank God for mercy. <clears throat> How many of you are, are grateful for the mercy of God? The Bible says in Psalm 103, He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquity. <clears throat> but look at this is um here you have a tax collector trusting in the mercy of God the Pharisees looking to himself if you would like to quickly turn to Luke chapter 5 verse 27 through 31 Luke chapter 5 Verses 27 through 31. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. So Jesus came to where a tax collector is at. Right? And it says, <coughs> Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but, it, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I remember in my first church, when I'd bring all these sinners in, you know, and I, I would drive them to church, some of them, some of my own, the church members would look at me in a snobby way. They wouldn't say anything. Because, hey, well, more people are coming to the church, but who are you? Like, almost as if, like, are you kicking it with these people? You know, like. Brother, you should be wiser about who, you know all that stuff, all these this religious etiquette, and yet um, they're missing the whole point. Jesus came where that tax collector was at, rather than saying, "Hey, come to church, come to church." We need to go where they're at. We need to stop with this old-fashioned Billy Graham tent revival sort of stuff. Like, hey, let's pass out flyers. Let's tell the sinners to come to church. No, you need to bring the church to them. You need to bring the presence of God to them. 
That's that's how that's where it begins. <clears throat> the first time I've ever heard I've ever seen God answer one of my prayers was when I was locked up. I didn't get saved, but God heard my prayer. God answered my prayer when I was in the back of a police car, drunk out of my mind. I remember even times when I first started going to church, I would get drunk. And I, I, I would be partying, but I would still find myself praying. I wasn't saved. I was saying, God, I know this is wrong, but deliver me, please. I don't want to go to hell. And you know what? I believe God actually heard my prayers. Not and I, I see that I think will offend some people. It, it, it because I didn't know any better, but I was crying out for mercy, crying out for help, and God was merciful enough to stoop down to my situation and and bring me out. You know, in fact, the, the the grace of God was haunting me. I remember one night I've told you guys the story. I was going to get drunk at a at a at a party. <clears throat> and I, I stopped by a, a one-way sign and someone wrote on the bottom of a one-way sign uh, to hell and I was like yo guys I'm out like I was gonna go party with y'all but I, I'm gonna go home <laughs> I don't want to go to hell <laughs> it was a way that God spoke to me and it convicted my conscience you know so, someone said this <coughs> There was a dispute between a man who smoked cigarettes and a man who didn't. And the question was, should I smoke? Uh, the, the, um, they were disputing about whether it was appropriate to smoke and pray. And he's all, no, it's not. The other guy said, yes, it is. So they go to a bishop and they say, what do you think? He said, It is appropriate to pray while smoking, but it's not appropriate to smoke while praying. The point that he was trying to make is this. If you're smoking and you want to give up, pray that you get delivered. So it's appropriate to pray while you're smoking. You don't want to smoke anymore, so you'll pray while you're smoking. But it's not appropriate that while you're praying, hey, you know how much I light a cigarette and I'll smoke. You, you get the point? It's the disposition of the heart that while even you're in sin that you could pray and say, God, I don't want to be this tax collector anymore. I don't want to be this tax collector anymore versus, hey, let me just go corrupt, you know, uh, be a corrupt person and go tax collect, right? There's a disposition of the heart. One man wants free. The other one doesn't. <clears throat> but Jesus says, I've come to call the sick to repentance. I've come for the sick. The, doc the, the well don't need a doctor. The sick do. And it's, it's still true today. How many people are in need of a doctor? Like that song we were playing uh, by commission. It says, don't leave them there groping in darkness, but tell them how they can be born again. Now that you come out of the darkness, you should turn on the light for a friend. 
Don't leave them there groping in darkness, but tell them how they can become born again. But look at the Pharisees in Luke 5. They start complaining. Oh, look at him. He he's he's you know, he's reaching out to sinners. Um but going back to Luke 18, <coughs> he says verse 13, we're, we're coming to a close. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy. You know, the the reason why the Jews would beat their breast is because they knew that from within came corruption. And so he would smite himself again and again and again and and it was common for Jews to look up as if you read the prayers of Jesus with great confidence and boldness to look up to heaven with their hands out ready to receive from the Lord and so they would look up confidently but this man implies a gesture of of shame and guilt and self-condemnation he won't even look up to heaven but will smite his breast and say have mercy on me God a sinner have mercy he unlike the Pharisee appeals to the mercy of God He, unlike the the Pharisee, looks away from self and begins to look to the mercy of God for his pleading. He smites himself and he's ashamed, and rightfully so. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. It's a short prayer, but it's nevertheless effective. And God heard that man's prayer. Have mercy, Lord. Don't consume me in your wrath. Be merciful to me. And you know what it says in Micah 7? That God delights to show mercy. He delights to show mercy. He's not reluctant in showing mercy. But it says, verse 14. And so one other thing I wanted to, to, to take note of is that he realizes himself to be a sinner. He doesn't look to other people. He doesn't say, he doesn't try to justify himself. He doesn't say, look, God, well, can I kind of bargain with you because I'm not that bad. I'm not like that person. He ain't got time to worry about other people. He's worried about his own sin. 
to be acquitted, to be atoned for, to be delivered. It reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son where after filling himself with the, the pig's food and was living, uh, um, throwing all his money on riotous living so he became bankrupt and poor in spirit. And then the Bible says he came thus to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants are well off and better than myself? He says, I will go home and return to my father. And what, what, what does the parable tell us? That while still being afar off, that the father came and ran to his son. Despite the fact that he was destitute. Despite the fact that he was spiritually bankrupt. Despite the fact that he had nothing to contribute to God. And yet the father runs to him and the Bible says he fell on his neck and began kissing him. He said, let us rejoice for my son was once dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Hallelujah. Do we still have that same attitude when a sinner comes to repentance? When a backslider comes, or do we wag the finger at them and say, you no good for nothing, piece of trash, I told you this and told... No, or do we welcome them with open arms? Amen, somebody. If you, are, if you aren't sick and you are well today then we should find an occasion in our hearts to reach out to those who are sick. It doesn't mean that you're going to be an evangelist, but what it means is that we should issue them a warm welcome. The heart of the Father says, Go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, for there is still more room in my house. There's more room. Like the old song says, though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's still room in the Father's house. There's still room in his kingdom. He wills for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Hallelujah. He doesn't desire the death of the wicked. Oh man, I feel the Holy Ghost even as I'm speaking. doesn't desire the death of the wicked, but the heart of the Father still goes out to many lost people today. Still is going out to that penitent sinner who cannot even look up to heaven, but with shame and self-condemnation looks down and just smites their breast and say, Have mercy on me, God, a sinner. That man might be locked up in prison facing the rest of his life for two counts of murder, or he might be a dope dealer in a trap house, but it doesn't matter because the blood of Jesus is greater than any sin. Where sin abound, grace does much more abound. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
It might be a prostitute still on the corner uh, with, with tears in her eyes and feeling like a, a trash can, just uh, overcome with her own degradation and sin. But the Bible says that if we call on the name of the Lord, we shall not be put to shame. But if we call on His name, He's faithful to save, He's faithful to forgive, and He's faithful to deliver. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your great mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy. But it says the tax collector stood at a distance. He wasn't even good enough to associate with certain cliques in church. Just distance himself, right? He quarantined himself. He had COVID. Shh. <laughs> he had moral COVID. Right? <clears throat> Verse 14. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's so much I could say about that. <laughs> I'll stop though. Verse 14, I tell you that this man rather than the other <coughs> went home justified before God. In other words, the man was declared innocent. Isn't that amazing that though in the court of his conscience he was guilty before God, God said, justified, not guilty. Wow. And yet the man who stood there at, at a distance and congratulated himself his own, of his own morality boasted in the works of the law had no, to his knowledge, any sin in his conscience. That man went home a dead man. And before God was declared guilty. And what does the Bible say? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, God values humility so much that even if you're squeaky clean and you, you look moral, but you're, you're proud, the Bible says he resists you. He resists you. <clears throat> but if you're humble, it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. I know that offends some people. They, they, they just even hate that I say that. You can be a crack dealer. And find yourself in your in your Mercedes Benz looking at the crack and putting your head down, say, God have mercy on me, deliver me, save me. And at the moment of that of that crying out for mercy, God will say, Justified. Man, ain't that amazing? That that I and I, I I'm 
I'm sorry, but ain't sorry if it offends your religious mind to think of these sort of depictions. But you know what? God looks at it all day long. He sees all that goes on in humanity. He's witnessing this stuff every single day. He's seeing the prostitute who just got done offering her, quote, service to a man who just bought her. And then it feels filthy and sinful and then repents right after it. And, and she had not even got a change of clothes just yet. And as she repents, the, the father says, justified. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Do you understand that the Bible says she was caught in the very act? So she is thrown at the presence of a holy man, God in the flesh, naked. Overcome with fear of the crowd and overcome with their, their sin. Understanding that it is very possible that she would be stoned to death. Naked. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I know a brother who, uh, he used to sell dope <coughs> and he was high off meth one night and he was going to kill himself. And he goes to his room. He goes to his living room. And the demons are saying, kill yourself, kill yourself. And he calls out to God for mercy. And the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to flood him while he's high off of meth. And he got born again in the middle of his living room. And he ran out at like two in the morning with his hands in the air saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, just marching down the street. Don't you love the mercy of God? Hallelujah. <clears throat> I want to show you real quickly. <clears throat> you know, you want to know how you're no longer appreciative of, of the mercy of God is when this stuff doesn't cause your heart to beat anymore. You don't relish the truth of God's mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But look at, I want us to turn real quickly to 1 Kings. Um, I want to show you, I, I want to give you hope today. I want to show you what the power of humility. This is how much God detests pride. 
that you, you can be a morally outstanding individual and be proud and God resist you. But you can be a wicked man. absolutely reprehensible and disgusting lifestyle and humble yourself and God will have mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I will show you from the scriptures that God had mercy on Ahab, a wicked man that was with Jezebel because he humbled himself. <clears throat> Um, first Kings chapter 16. First, I want to show you his resume to show you how wicked of a man he was. And I'm doing this so you guys can have hope that as you humble yourself before the Lord, he will have mercy and he will abundantly pardon. First Kings chapter 16, verse 30 through 33. <coughs> You know, pride is one of those things that so many people have trouble with. And let me just tell you, out of love, it will ruin your life if you don't know how to humble yourself. I can't tell you how many people in my own home city, they're, they're so proud that they ain't, got, they ain't got ears to hear anything I have to say. Not because what I'm saying is false, but because it's coming from me. And there's certain people like that in your life. They can't hear what you got to say because it's coming from you. They don't like the container that the content is packaged in. You know, people will swear up and down, oh, I'm so humble. But they can't ever submit themselves to anybody. They can't submit themselves to a leader and be a disciple. But they'll swear up, oh, I read my theology. I go to cemetery or seminary. I I I I I listen to uh I listen to Paul Washer. And they 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 will say like, "Oh man, I'm so humble." But but the thing is their character ain't ever tested. You know, it, it, it's like it's like uh it's like saying you love God. But when someone comes in your proximity, a man made in the image of God, you you can't love them. You can't love that person. You can't do anything for them. But you swear you love God. But you can't you can't love the one made in His image. You get what I'm saying. You can't love His children. <clears throat> you submit to God, but you can't submit to the the. The the uh, the the elders or the the minister that he that he placed in your life. You can't submit to a God that you cannot see if you can't if you can't submit to a man of God that you can see. And it's biblical. Just read First Peter chapter five and Hebrews chapter thirteen. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'll I'll throw daggers at that at that uh, for you know as long as I live because I want to blow up the misconception that people are more spiritual than they really are. 
a lot of people swear that they're spiritual, but man, the moment they're told something they don't want to hear, oh, the, the block, oh, I'm editing you out of my life. And then they'll just say, they'll, they'll swear that, you know, your position is false. And you try to show them from the scriptures and they, they just don't want to hear it. Nope, nope, nope. It's like, the, you know, the kid that goes like, you know, like this, and they put their fingers in the ears and nah, 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 nah. Like that? Have you ever have you ever had that happen? <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll get to the text. First Kings chapter sixteen verse thirty. <clears throat> I want to show you how wicked this man was. Ahab son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, so he's trivializing sin. Ah, it ain't a big deal. So what? So what if I smoke a little bit of weed? Right? So what if I get drunk? But he also married Jezebel, daughter of Athbal, king of the Sidians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Man, this guy is just terrible. He's he's worshiping Baal, building temples for Baal. So he's dedicated to Baal. And he's building in Samaria. And Jews didn't like Samaria. And he married Jezebel, who's killing God's prophets. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Man, so he's just multiplying gods upon gods. Demons upon demons. And did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. You know, I remember because, you know, I, I wasn't good in school and I got expelled and I just didn't care. And I remember uh, sometimes I would take consolation in the fact that like, you know, other like knuckleheads in my in the class didn't do their classwork. But I felt alone. I felt pretty bad when even they did their schoolwork and I was left alone as the only person that didn't focus or didn't do anything. Kind of how like you should feel ashamed if you ain't focusing to learn in the school of Christ as we gather together. I wonder if you'll pass your tests and exams, right? Um, that one's for free. But I felt bad. I felt bad. But look at Ahab is worse than everybody. Everyone. Also turns to First Kings chapter 21. Verse 25 through 26. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Man, that's strong language. For the Lord to say, this man 
behaved in the vilest. Not, not just that he was vile. The vilest. There's vile, viler, and vilest. Ahab is like chief sinner. He's, he's pretty bad. Right? Very depraved. Very evil. Very wicked. Serving Baal. Dedicating himself to Baal. Prostituting himself for Baal. Married a wicked, seductress, so-called prophetess who's killing God's prophets. And is once Elijah the prophet's head. And then now if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 21 verse 24 Oh but oh uh, yeah it's actually the same passage just turn to uh <clears throat> verse 27 When Ahab heard these words he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. So the humility he had before God, despite the fact that he was an utterly wicked man, you could not get more wicked than he, more vile than he. He humbled himself before the hand of the Lord. And God says, I'm taking notice of that man. He's humbling himself. I'm not going to destroy him. But if you don't humble yourself, the Bible says pride comes before destruction. For the one who swells themselves with pride, destruction will come. But no matter how wicked you are, if you humble yourself, disaster will overpass you by the mercy of God. Amen, somebody? Or are you too swelled up with pride? Amen. You know, pr pride is a stupid thing. You know, sometimes I'll be driving, right? And I'll come at an intersection. And everybody wants to be first, right? Because people are selfish. And I'll come out at an intersection and we'll stop. And it looks like we stopped at the same time. And so I'll be kind and say, go ahead. Well, they don't like the gesture to be, to be told, go ahead. Even though you're offering to be kind, they just don't want to be told what to do. So, no, I'm just staying right here. Okay, well, let me go first then. <laughs> I don't care. Who are you to tell me the Bible? Who are you to tell me the scriptures? I ain't, I ain't going to obey that. Okay, well, I am. I'm, I'm going to live a life of peace. I don't know about you, bro. I, I don't want destruction. 
Hey, sister, I don't think you should be, uh, be with that, uh, with that sinner. Who are you to tell me? Hey, brother, I don't think you should be with that, that, that girl. Who are you to tell me? I guess no one, right? <laughs> no one to you. But never mind who's telling you. What? What's the content? What's the message? You know, honestly, I really don't care if my mailman is fat and ugly and like out of shape. He has his hair missing. If he gives me, if he gives me a check in the mail, I'm taking it. Some of you will complain up and down. Like I don't like look at his shoes. Look at look at how funny he looks. I ain't gonna take that. But I want to close with this psalm, Psalm fifty-one. <clears throat> this is what a cry, a humble cry, looks like. A cry for mercy. <coughs> this is David when he had slept with Bathsheba. And um, he, cons- he conspired against his own men and had one of them killed. Um, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones... You have crushed, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Notice he doesn't say restore to me salvation. He has it. He says restore to me its joy. You can have the joy of your salvation lost. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. It says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, you, God, will not despise. So it's not that God doesn't care about sacrifices. Because He does. But in comparison... What God shows the most delight for, a delight in, 
is a broken heart. A humble heart. That says, just like that man, that tax collector standing in the temple, have mercy upon me, O God, a sinner. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. There is nothing I possibly can do. There's nothing I can possibly do that would equip, uh, uh, acquit me and declare me innocent. Therefore, O Lord, I plead the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> my hope to you, my 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 encouragement to you today is that you would not be a proud person that would say. Yeah, my that would basically say my sin is greater than the blood of Jesus. Because if you still believe <coughs> that despite the fact that you're not as bad as Ahab, cuz I I take it that no one here has like worshiped Baal and prepared temples for Baal and all that other stuff and you still say that I'm so bad that God can't forgive me. What you're saying is God's grace is bankrupt and his mercy isn't so great as to forgive my sin. Don't don't be proud. Be receiving of the Lord's mercy, be receiving of his grace. And don't say within yourself that sin abounds greater than grace. The Bible says wherever sin abound, grace does much more abound. So what must you do? Be like the man in the temple if you have sinned. You cry out to him. You cry out to God and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. It takes humility to beg. Right? It takes humility. He's not just asking, he's pleading. His very life is at stake. He's begging. Lord, please do this for me. And some of you, some of you find it easy or relatively easy to ask God for things. But I'm going to put a challenge to you all. There are some things that is actually disobedience to God because you won't do before men. You won't say you're sorry. You won't apologize. And can I say something? God resists you. And he will continue to resist you. You don't believe me? Read 1 Peter. The Bible says, If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he will lift you up. Are you humbling yourself? When you receive correction, do you receive it? Or do you operate like tares and not like wheat wheat bows down tares remain standing up saying I'm not going to bow heck no 
some of you are going to have to um, acknowledge certain people. You know, people do it all the time on my Facebook. They won't like my post because they're so proud because I posted it. But if someone else posts, they would put love and hearts and amen. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> ah, people are funny. For real. I don't know if you have. I don't know if you know those people, but I know them. They're all over my city. Oh, hey, you know it's funny too because never mind. I'll stop there. I can rant on about that, but I won't. They'll just look over it. Oh, I didn't see it. You know, there's this quote that people, um, they just want to keep, some people only keep you as friends because they want to keep tabs on you that you're not doing better than them. Amen. <laughs> like, what, what is this dude doing? Is he doing better than me yet? <laughs> People won't share your stuff because they're so proud. Oh, heck no. I ain't going to allow the gospel to gain any advancement because this person is preaching it. <laughs> Petty, man. Petty. I'm sick of that stuff. <clears throat> yeah, just go on an unfriending spree. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on, my foot's asleep. It's kind of bothersome. Trying to regain circulation. I think that's prophetic. Some of you have cut off the circulation from the body. (laughs) Don't cut off the circulation. Let the blood flow. But um, we'll come to a close. Recording.